Well, good morning, Calvary Church. It's great to be with you guys. Let me pull this on over. My name is Brian Smith. I am one of the pastors here. I actually reach associate pastors, so I get the blessing and privilege of helping support all these missionaries that you just saw up on the stage, plus so many more, and to help lead us in having a heart as a church for the nations. This morning, we have a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. Morning, this morning, our message is on the gift of grace and apostleship. We'll be focusing on Romans 10, but we'll be jumping around to different parts of Romans and looking at it as a whole and how Paul has shown us what it looks like to be a missions-minded people. You know, we've been a missions-minded people for a while. This, as Matt mentioned, we didn't even coordinate at all about this, but I had this up prepping for this. This is Calvary in 1931. It's at the Ebel Club in downtown Santa Ana. And this is an amazing time because, check this out, this is our mission statement from 1931, or our purpose statement. It says, our purpose is to honor God, present and exalt Christ, further the missionary effort, and to be of service to the people of our community. What a great purpose statement. Missions right there at the very beginning. And we have not wavered from this. Even now, if you go out into the lobby, you'll see that our mission statement is to reach Orange County and the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, I want to pause. It can be so easy for us to say another reach week, to just sit in our chairs another Sunday morning, say, okay, hey, that's good, okay, where are we going to lunch today? Are we going to In-N-Out? Maybe you'll get the free one from Matt, we'll see. But I want to challenge us this morning to not sit back, to lean forward into all that God has for us, for his global purposes, that Jesus would be exalted in our lives. And I believe that for every single one of us, there is a takeaway this morning, every single one, no one is exempt. We all have a part in the Great Commission. With that, let's look at Romans 10. We're going to be jumping right in. I'm going to read it a little bit differently. Um, you're going to see here, it's Romans 10, 13 through 15 on the screen, but I'm going to read a little bit before then, starting in verse 9. Romans 10, beginning verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For, quote, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone goes to tell them? And how will anyone go to tell them without being sent? Calvary Church, this morning I want to draw out that there is a gospel cycle. You see up on the screen, the screen here that there are certain words are highlighted. Paul highlights this. He connects these and says they're, they're connected. All these are connected. There is a gospel cycle here that Paul is drawing out. 
He's trying to get us to understand that there is a gospel cycle. What is that? It looks kind of like this. That you have people in partnership together for the gospel. People who are goers and people who are senders. Both are on even ground. There's no first class or second class citizens, missionaries or pastors or whoever are not exalted among people within the church. But we are partners together in the gospel. And together we send out. Without a goer, there's no one to send. And without a sender, no one can be sent. And so we work together. That person going, or the, the people going, they tell or they preach the gospel. They tell someone who has never heard or needs to hear again that Jesus is risen and that he is worthy of worship. When they hear that, the Holy Spirit begins to work in their heart. The Holy Spirit begins to draw them to himself, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they believe that God raised him from the dead, just as Paul talked about. They believe, and then they call out saying, God, I have need, save me. I have need of a Savior this morning, this evening, wherever I'm at in the world, I have need, save me. And I love it because Paul says, or Paul says right there in Romans 10, 14, that if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. God is faithful to answer his promise. Amen? He will answer. But we have a role in this. We have a role. Paul talks about this throughout Romans, and it's so interesting because we have to understand this passage of Romans 10 within the greater context of this letter that Paul has written to the Roman church. We need to understand his purpose in writing this and his thesis. What are the main points he uses to undergird to say, yes, this is true? Did you know that Paul's purpose in writing this letter to the Roman church was as a missionary support letter? Do you know that? How many people knew that this morning? You know, all the scholars that you read will talk about this. Paul is so, it's so interesting. He writes the church in Rome, says, I want to be of encouragement to you. I want to uplift you and uphold you as I am on my way to Spain. As I'm on my way to Spain. In ancient times, this is known as Gaul, and this was a place where no one had heard about Jesus. No one. And he said, I'm going. Roman church, I'm going. I want to encourage you. I want to say, keep on doing the good work you're doing. And guess what? I'm going. I am going, and you should support me along, my, along the way. You should encourage me. You should get behind me. You should give financially, and we are doing this. Are you in? Are you in? And when he's asking, are you in, he uses the very bedrock of his foundation for this as the gospel. When you look at Romans, a thesis of Romans, the, the main points he uses to undergird this missionary effort to send out, to say, get behind me, I'm going, will you come with me? He uses this. Check this out. The main thought here is that it is about God's overall plan of redemption for Jews and Gentiles alike. It's everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's saying in this, this is why you should send. But let's, let's Pick this apart for a little bit. Let's go to Romans because Paul puts on a master class of explaining the gospel. This morning, I want you to see that if you see and savor Jesus this morning, if you see and savor Jesus, you will be ascending church. 
because a saved people are a sent people. A saved people are a sent people. So look at this. First, righteousness is from God. God is holy and pure. He's above anyone else or anything. Just like we were singing this morning, holy you are, holy forever. He is holy. He's other. He is righteous and pure. But Paul juxtaposes that right at the beginning after his introduction in Romans 1. He juxtaposes that. Look at this, Romans 1. So interesting. He says that he's not ashamed about the gospel of Christ, talking about the gospel, and then he gets to verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth with their wickedness. He goes on to say that they have abandoned God and made and do whatever is shameful in their eyes. The reality is that humankind, mankind, is separated from God in unrighteousness. From the very core, from the time the sin entered this world, with Adam and Eve, we have been separated from God. And everything we do is unrighteous. He's saying, look at this, God is righteous, but we are unrighteous. Even Isaiah says that even our good deeds are like filthy rags to God. And because of this, that there is a judgment that is coming. It's called hell. A judgment is coming, and it's very clear in Romans 3, 23, that all of us fall under this. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're not righteous. God is righteous, and we fall short of that. Because of that, there's this massive chasm between us and God. And then it goes on in Romans 6.23. What is the payment? What is the payment or the wages for our sin? What do we deserve? It's death. This life in hell. But it doesn't end there. Church, it does not end there. It goes on in the second half. The wages of sin is death. But, it's one of the most amazing buts in scripture. But, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is an amazing justification that happens here. I remember learning this as a kid. What is this weird theological term, justification? It's very simply put, I learned it in a WANA program growing up, just as if I'd never sinned. You see, God exchanges our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Now, if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and we are saved, now our unrighteousness is traded for his righteousness and the lenses that God sees us through is through Jesus' blood. Is that not amazing this morning? That you have been saved. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are justified. So this morning, I want you to pause and look at this. It's not just that. Then you're sanctified. This purification process to where you are no longer bound in sin to your own sinful desires, but you've been freed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Each one of you has a Holy Spirit within you now who calls yourself a follower of Jesus. And because of that, you can now become more like Christ, being sanctified. And then you're living this righteous life out. Not that you're righteous in your own good, deeds, but Jesus is righteous in you. The Holy Spirit is working that out in you. We have been given new life. And Paul is saying, if you see this, then savor it. If you see this, then savor it this morning, Calvary Church. And he's saying, if you see this and you savor this, then you send me because Jesus is worth it. 
You have been changed. I have been changed this morning. All of us who call ourselves believers this morning have been changed. And I want to say even this morning, there's some of you, maybe this is like, wow, this is the first time I've been to church. Or maybe you've been on the fence, do I follow Jesus or not? I think God might be calling you this morning to say, this gospel is so good. This good news is so good that Jesus came. He lived the life we never could live. He died the death that we should have died on the cross. And God poured out his wrath on him, on Jesus, not us. And now as we come by faith, that we are made new in Christ. This is beautiful. And this morning, I want us to pause and say, do I? Yes, we all, if you're a believer, you've seen it. But do we savor it? How do you taste daily and see that the Lord is good? Paul saw this, and it affected him deeply. He said, I've tasted and I've seen, but there are so many who haven't. Just like we see up here, what if you had never heard? Paul gets this so clearly that there are people out there who have never heard. There are people out there who have never heard. This is a map of the 1040 window, or actually the entire world, but look at those blocks of red. This is every single ethnic group in the world mapped out, every single one. There are 7,391 unreached people groups meaning they will live, breathe, and die and never hear about Jesus unless something changes. And Paul was saying, this isn't right. Jesus, you're worthy to be worshipped, and this gospel is so good that I've tasted. They deserve to hear it too. They deserve to hear it too. Paul was so infatuated with making Jesus famous among everyone. In fact, look at this. There are different roles here, and I love this. Check this out. You have Paul, Timothy, and local evangelism. These are types of witness we'll explore this morning. First Paul. We see this in Romans 15. It's so fascinating. Paul said, I make it my ambition to preach Christ where he has not yet been named. That way I'm not building on anyone else's foundation. If you look in the NLTs in your back seats, it will talk about where there are no churches. Christ isn't named there. I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. He goes on to say, therefore, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is modern-day Albania, the gospel has been fully preached. Therefore, there is no room for me to work. Are you crazy, Paul? There's no room for you to work? What about Corinth, Ephesus, Lystra, Derbe, Antioch? Athens, all these places, tens of thousands of unbelievers, and there's no place for you to work? What do you mean? It's because he's saying, nope, I'm going to those who have never heard. I'm planting a church where there is no church because Jesus deserves to be worshipped by every tribe, language, people, and nation. Then you have Timothy. You have Timothy-type missionaries. Timothy, we see in Acts chapter uh, 16, that he was from Lystra. His uh, mother was Greek, or excuse me, Jewish, and his fa- her, uh, the father was uh, Jewish. Or excuse me, I'm getting this all back, backwards. Mother Jewish, father Greek. He's bicultural. He's found by Paul and goes on these missionary journeys with Paul. And then 
Paul, who had founded this church in Ephesus, says, hey, Timothy, you're going to be here and you're going to pastor here. Do the work of what? An evangelist, we see in 2 Timothy 4, 5. Do the work of an evangelist. So he's saying, don't, don't worry about like, going out and planting among all these unreached people groups. Hold down the fort here and expand the church. We need missionaries like that. Paul's affirming that. And so, yes, we need Paul-type missionaries, and we need Timothy-type missionaries. And then, this last piece, we need local evangelists. We need you to step up and to make Jesus glorious and famous here in Orange County. I get this from Acts 1.8. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is right before Jesus ascends into heaven, And so he's giving marching orders to his disciples. Be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. If you're here in Orange County, God has called you to be a witness right here. He's called you to be a faithful witness. I call this a faithful remainer. Not just a remainer, a faithful remainer. And undergirding all this is discipling people towards Jesus into deeper relationship with him and God's glory. It's always about God's glory. It's like this, a three-legged stool. When you go to sit down on a stool, have you ever seen videos on the internet where someone sits down in like a plastic chair and it falls apart on them? Oh man, three-legged stool. We need all three legs strong and healthy to be who God's called us to be. Otherwise, we won't function. We cannot, you can't sit on a two-legged stool. Won't work. You need that three-legged stool. All need to be healthy and strong. The sad part is that in the West and in Southern California, maybe even in our hearts at times, that's not our present reality. This is closer to it. That there's this little sliver of Paul-type missionaries, those going to the unreached, those who have never heard. Little sliver. They even say of about 400,000 missionaries globally today that's from, sent out from every country on the earth, right? That only 3% go to the 42% who have never heard. Only 3%. Timothy-type missionaries, there's more of them. And then you have local evangelists, there's more of them, people who are faithfully remaining, being the light and blessing of Christ. And then you have this big swath, people who are disobedient. Maybe they're even broken or hurting, and they need renewal and, and transformation in their own hearts before they're ready. They're distracted or disengaged. Maybe they're waiting for their next Amazon package every day, but they're not waiting on the voice of the Holy Spirit leading them. Calvary Church, God wants to move us by his grace more into alignment with his great commission by being part of one of these three for one of us, or all of us this morning. One of these three. Paul-type missionary, Timothy-type missionaries are faithful remainder. What is it this morning? God's calling you into it. And, by the way, as he moves you more into alignment with that, it's a joy to partner with Jesus wherever he goes. It's a joy. This isn't a condemnation message this morning. Jesus said, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to lift you up and convict you and to walk with you. And so this morning, don't hear Hey, I'm, I'm really bad. I need to get on it. No. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working within you, and there's joy to be had in the process of following Jesus. 
And it gets us to the title of this message this morning, Grace and Apostleship. I get this from Romans 1.5. I just love this so much. Paul's talking here, giving greetings to the Roman church. He says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. By the way, the Gentiles, we don't use that word in modern, modern day. Like, you don't go around, it's like, hey, how's it going, Gentile? You don't say that, right? It's weird. What do we say? In Greek, it says ethne, all the ethne, all the ethnic groups of the world. It's the same thing in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, ethne. It's the same. Nations, ethnic groups, people groups, what we just saw, the 7,391 who have never heard, ethnic groups, all of them deserve to hear, both Jew and Gentile, the whole world, because Jesus is worth it. And here, he's saying we've been given grace and apostleship. This grace is this good news that we see and we savor. But check this out. He says, we have received not only grace, but apostleship. We have received. Yes, Paul said, I'm an apostle. Yes, that big ape apostle, we might call it, that office of apostleship. But he's saying we as a church have been given apostleship. We've been given it. We, we need to receive it. What does this mean? Well, an apostle is a sent out one, especially as a gift. What does this mean? It's like a kingdom next to another kingdom. And they don't have relationship to one another. And so in, in ancient times, they used to send out someone as an emissary to come and bring a gift and say, hey, we come in peace. Here's our amazing gift of gold, whatever it may be. Here, we come in peace and we present the gift to you. We want to have relations with you. We want to know you and be in relationship with you. We have been given the gift of apostleship as a church to bring the gospel and say, this is the gift of Jesus that we see and we savor. Would you come into relationship with him? Would you know him? We have been given this, and it is a joy and a pleasure to walk with him in that. And so, a couple of things here. Five world Christian habits, the ways we can respond and say, okay, God, if you've given us this apostleship, this mission to make you known, what does this look like? A lot of times it's so easy for us in Orange County just to say, well, I'll get out my checkbook. That's not a bad thing. God's calling some of us to that. But let's break it down. Let's elucidate this a little bit more to break it out. Say, get creative. Dream with God. What could it look like? I have five world Christian habits. Pray, send, go, welcome, and mobilize. Let's run through these. Pray. You heard about Ron Rogowski and how he prays for these missionaries every day. I shared uh, last night at the kickoff dinner that as we were missionaries in Central Asia working with Muslims, it was very difficult when we first landed. Very difficult. That transition was very hard on my daughter, and she would not go to sleep. I would have to sleep on the wood floor next to her to get her to fall asleep until 2, 3 in the morning every night. We were exhausted. And I reached out to women with a mission here and said, will you fast and pray with us? And within two weeks, that changed. Within two weeks, that shifted completely. It was a huge breakthrough for our family. God wants to use you as you pray. Women with a Mission here has been around since the beginning of this church in different forms since 1931. Almost nine or over nine decades of women faithfully praying. It's amazing. Jump into it. And men, men, and now it's your turn. It's our turn to jump in to the gap and fill in the gap for our men. Who will pray? 
who will send? And this isn't just financially. Yes, God wants to use your faith promises you give and as you support missionaries, absolutely. But it's not just that. Will you send an encouraging? Will you encourage missionaries? Will you welcome them home? I remember when we first got back, we were like, what's going on? We don't know what's happening. And we were able to stay at a mission house because some people over the years had poured into that. They had maintained it. We were able to go to a mission house and have a soft landing for our family. It's amazing. I think of even times that I, I think of the Griffiths. They've opened up their home on many occasions, their back house that they have, their granny flat for us to stay and others like us. And so we're so thankful that there are different ways to send. Send well. Send well. And we need goers. None of us in this room is exempt. Every year I pray, God, is this the year you send us out again? None of us is exempt, especially the gray hairs in here. <laughs> if you're retired this morning, you have a place in the Great Commission. We had some friends who went to the land of mountains with us in Central Asia to work with these Muslims who are 99.99% Muslim. They're, they've never heard the gospel. And when they walked into the room, everyone gets quiet and they say, hey, it was at a wedding. Here's the microphone. What do you need to tell us? You have the stage. And here's hundreds of people from the land of mountains. And they said, Jesus loves you. He wants to, be, he wants to know you. And they had full reign and access just because they had gray hair. What an amazing thing. Amazing. Welcome. Welcoming internationals who are here. You know, we talk about this all the time. 65 Afghan families down the street. What an amazing opportunity. I see one walking all the time up to the store here. This woman used to live in a Taliban compound and has never been to a store before coming to America. What would it look like for us to engage her in love and over, maybe it takes a decade, to slowly build up trust to where then she says yes to Jesus? What would that look like? Amazing. Let's welcome them well and let's mobilize. Let's mobilize the next generation Let's help people. If you're playing your role this morning, I want you to continue playing your role, but I want you to raise up, disciple the next generation. Because what we did for these last hundred years, that's great, but it all goes to pot if we don't do it over the next hundred. We need to raise up the next generation. So younger people in here, find your role in the Great Commission. Find your role. I wanted to share a story about people who have found their roles. This is a picture of a mountainous region. It's called Nepal. No, Mount Everest, uh, that's Nepal. There's lots of people groups in Nepal who have yet to hear about Jesus. And yet one of them is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He wasn't able to come this morning, but one of our members, Bharat Tamang, he's an amazing man of God. And he is now in the kingdom, and his family and his people because others decided to take the gospel. God in his sovereignty was beginning to draw his own people group, the Tamang people of Nepal, 1.8 million people, began to draw them in the 1940s, 50s, 60s to himself. They were conscripted by the British military. They were pulled in to fight during World War II, so they're fighting the Japanese in Burma, Myanmar today. And so they're fighting there in other places. 
They still even to this day fight for the British. Uh, they will go and do that. And so along this way, God was onesies and twosies coming to faith through the witness of some of the soldiers with them. Then you have some other Tamang who live in India, actually, neighboring them, and some other Indians who are from the Indian subcontinent, and they're going up saying, you should follow Jesus. So some of them are starting to come. But in Bharat's region, there were no believers until two single women went. They worked with SIL Wycliffe. They went out to share the gospel, well, really to learn the language to hopefully begin to translate the Bible. They were only able to stay there a little bit of time but Barat's great uncle was a first believer in the entire region to come to faith. He was severely persecuted, kicked out of his village. So he goes to the neighboring village. And he says, well, I guess I'm going to tell people about Jesus here. And his brother, Barat's grandfather, comes to him and says, why are you doing this? You left Buddhism for this, and now you're like ruining your life, and you're ruining, just fall in line. And he says, you know what? I've seen Savior Jesus. I've seen and savored Jesus. And Barat's grandpa says, well, if that's how good God is, then I'm following him too. And so he comes to faith. And they just start discipling more and more. And this gospel cycle continues until this. Here's a picture of Joshua Project today. 1.8 million Tamang in Nepal, 6.6% Christian, 120,000 believers today. 120,000. There is still a lot of work to be done among the Tamang. It's difficult going, but guess what? These ladies didn't go on their own. They had people behind them praying. They had people behind them sending. It was in full partnership. This is what God can do through us, church. This is what God can do. And maybe this morning you're feeling, though, like, hey, I don't feel like I have enough to give. I don't feel like I can do this. That you're asking me a lot. I'm not like you, Brian, or I'm not like these missionaries. I could never go or this or that. And I totally get that. There was a time in my life where I felt like I had nothing to give. I'll wrap up with this story before we go into next steps. When I was a Biola student, I had just gone on a three-month internship doing missions work in China. I came back. It was, it was the hardest trip of my life. So much spiritual warfare. It was very difficult in Western China. Come back to find out my mom is actually very sick. She had been sick beginning part-time through. It was really hard. My dad was trying to care for her. She ended up needing, starting to need 24-hour care. And he was starting to falter at his job because he was so exhausted. And so they started writing him up. Soon enough, he's... He's on, the, on a knife's edge. Is he going to lose his job? And I'm like, God, what the heck? I'm here. I'm serving you. Like, I, I was working for the Student Missionary Union at Biola at this time and trying to organize chapels. And I'm like, God, I'm trying to reach out for the gospel, but this is happening? God, where are you in this? And so I stepped in to try to help my mom staying up all night, you know, helping care for her, get her medication, the other things. And we still... We're like, no breakthrough is happening. We're praying. We're anointing. We're throwing everything. We're just, God, breakthrough, please. And it's just not happening. I'm exhausted. During that time, I organized this missions chapel at Biola where you have a missionary come in and share about unreached people groups. What if you had never heard? And we had a cross, a wooden cross. And in that, we, what we did is we wrote down all 
7,391 unreached people groups on labels like these on the screen. It's kind of this dot matrix paper, so they're all connected. So it's just, it's just scrolling out, and you just walk in for hundreds of feet with all these labels, and we drape it over the cross, and we've been, we can't get all of it, so then we throw it at the foot of the cross, and we say, come and choose a label and pray for a people group. Come, 500 students at the gym is like absolute dud of a chapel. Maybe half a dozen come to just grab a label and pray, thinking, God, I'm trying to get stuff going, and it's just not working. It's not working. And I thought that was the end of the story. My mom started to get a little bit better, little by little, thank God, over the next year and a half. Six years later, I'm at a missions conference in San Diego, and the speaker is saying, God wants to send people and use your little bit that you have to give, your little mustard seed of faith to bloom it into a giant mustard tree, where just like it talks about in the gospel, is that it's like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and it's smallest of all seeds, but it grows into a large tree where birds of the air will come and find a home, find rest in its branches. He's saying, God wants to use that, use your little mustard seed of faith, he said, let me tell a story. He said, one time, there was this girl who was a Biola student, and she went to a chapel. <laughs> and she took a label to pray for an unreached people group. She started praying for two years for this unreached people group. Mind you, at this point, I'm going, oh my gosh. I, just, I was the weirdest guy in that, in that mission conference. I just fell on my knees. God, you did something. You did something through my little act of faith. I felt like I had nothing. What is, what's it going to be? She prays for two years for the Njot Muslims of India. She goes then, after two years of praying, she goes on a short-term trip to India. And this is a little bit of her story here. You're going to see. I mean, I don't know if some of you have been overseas, and there are places on the earth that genuinely have never even heard the name of Jesus. Wow. You'll say, Jesus, and they'll say, who are you talking So she goes to this village where they've not seen foreigners before. She walks into the village, and she, along with her team, are the first people to ever talk about his name. Okay, number one, that's really cool. <laughs> Missions is a lot of fun. Like sometimes people are like, oh, missions are so dreary. Like you guys are going to places that they might kill you. No, but there is so much joy in following Jesus and following the Lamb wherever he goes. And so Sarah decides, I'm going to go to India because I've been praying for an Indian people group for two years. And she goes to this village, speaks the name of Jesus, maybe for the first time that people have ever heard his name before. And then all of a sudden, after walking out of the village, the village chief calls and says, hey, the whole village, we love Jesus. <laughs> That's, you know, we're, we're cool college students, so we don't want to get too excited. I don't know how that works. But think about that for a minute. Just stop. on the earth now that is forever written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
By the end of that conference, I was on my knees weeping, saying, God, if you could use me, this broken person who feels like he has nothing, this is all about you. We pray every day as a family, two times a day, the Luke 10, 2 prayer, God, send out more missionaries. We often pray every day. We've been praying for Gaza and for Israel every day. And when I forget, my kids say, Dad, you didn't pray for Gaza. You didn't pray that they would have food. You didn't pray for Israelis today. We have to pray. Calvary Church, what is your role? I want to invite you now as we have the band starts to come up and we're going to have a little bit of music playing. I want you to consider one of these five world Christian habits. Pray, send, go, welcome, or mobilize. And where God would call you to step more into alignment What's he doing? Each one of us has a role. Maybe even this morning, you need prayer to say, I'm exhausted, but I want to continue going. I want to hold the line. And you need prayer and encouragement to hold the line because you're exactly where God wants you to be. We want to pray for you. Maybe you've been feeling this inkling of like, maybe I'm called to go, but I don't know. Come, I want to pray for you specifically. Come and find me. I'll be right down here. I want to pray for you that God would show up. And if he's not calling you to go, that you would stay and faithfully send. But if he's calling you to go, that you would step into that. Whatever it is, consider this morning. By the way, most of the time, research shows if we don't obey within 24 to 48 hours, we probably won't. This is an opportunity to obey, and to align our hearts, and in that process, receive the joy that Jesus has for us. Come respond as God calls and leads.